martial art of parenting is not about karate chopping our kids, though we might feel like doing so at times. It's about recognizing that parenting itself is a martial art, a daily practice with no end. Though we are surrounded by well-intentioned advice and experts and latest trends, we all know that parenting is a deeper practice. It's calling on us to know ourselves and our family and find our own way to navigate our brood through the wilderness of life. Our family is the dojo, open 24-7. There's no escape, no vacation, or other vocation as great as the moment right now with our kids and our co-parent. We are here to learn the skills that we were never taught to be braver, kinder, stronger, and wiser. Becoming the change we wish to see in our family. So won't you join me now to step into our audio dojo, this podcast, where you have a front row seat, intimate access, as I interview inspiring parents who also struggle as we get real about it all. And we learn a lot from one another in the spirit of onegaishimasu. It's a Japanese term in Aikido, which means allow me to learn from you. Let's train. introduce my guests but I want to say to you Mark you're here and I have I've been following your work for so many years and have been really moved in so many ways um you know uh, the way you bring heartfulness and spirituality to business and in such a grounded way has really transformed how I see business but also how I feel about parenting Mm. and how I feel about helping people and just being a, a person in the world. So I'm just I'm just thrilled that we're having this conversation. And I don't know where it's going to go. I, I have so many things I want to ask you. Um, you know, but I guess, I mean, where do you feel like starting? You know, I, I just trust your heart. I have, I have no idea. I, to be completely honest, um, I have been, um, it's been a really full morning and um, I didn't give myself the transition time into this conversation that I would ordinarily have wanted to do. And so my head is full of other things. I can shift pretty quickly. I just would love to hear what's in your heart about parenting to help me kind of enter the conversation. Cause um, yeah. 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 So one of the things that I was thinking about the last few minutes was just, um, a long time ago, you showed me about the five ways of the heart. And it really moved me, you know, to, to look at myself in the world as like giving and receiving, offering and taking and being. Mm-hmm. And, and I started to think, wow, what a gift that is to help me understand my way in the world mm-hmm. and, and in business and in life. And so I've started thinking about parenting as, as this adventure in the wilderness, <laughs> right? And how there are all these experts out there. There are all these different people telling you, oh, this approach, that approach. And I've worked with families for 25 years now, and I've studied almost every approach you can because I'm always l- love learning. But each approach seems to miss something, you know, or it seems to pit itself against that other approach. And it's really confusing, uh, I think for parents, and I think we tend to grab onto the thing that's most like us. Mm-hmm. Affirms, you know, attachment parenting. If you're really into loving and being close, or discipline parenting. If you're really <laughs> into thinking that's the right thing, mm-hmm. and your way in the world has really taught me about discernment and about going through the heart, and you know, like. Every moment is unique. Every context is, is its own moment. And every parent, every child, every family is so unique. There's so much we can learn and share with each other. But there's also this, how do we discern? How do we discern in that moment? Is it better for me to enter it this way or that way? Is, you know? And I, um, so I've come to trust my heart more because of you. And the way you've, you've, I've taken in your teachings and, and that's the spirit of how, what I call the martial art of parenting is like the, the family is the dojo and we're always learning. 
and I could <laughs> hopefully learning. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, right? <laughs> and I could be a black belt. I have all this experience teaching parents and being a parent and working with kids, but half the time I get my own ass kicked. And I'm learning from those moments also, hopefully. Mm. That's the spirit of this podcast and this these kind of conversations is to, to get to know the different parents that we meet and go, okay, what's it really like? Where do you feel your strength, your qualities, your um, nature comes through in a beautiful way? And where is it a challenge and struggle? And can we help? Can we understand you and understand ourselves a little better as parents? Yeah, thank you. Where Where would you like to enter? Like, what would be the? Yeah, I have so many questions, but the first one jumps out at me is, um, what was it like for you to become a parent? Um, sudden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really sudden. I mean, our boys. I don't know if you know this. Are adopted. And um, it's an open adoption where we maintain a relationship with the birth family, which has been wonderful. And um, and so becoming a parent was, um, God, I don't even know how to answer that question. What was it like becoming a parent? I mean, it's like all the cliches, right? Everything changes. So we've been in a really long journey because my wife has a chronic illness and it became apparent after a while that biological children weren't in the mix for us. And we had to go through a really deep process of grief and surrender around that. Mm. Because um, if we were going to adopt, we didn't want to adopt out of a desire to make up for a biological lack. Like it's just mm-hmm. not fair to do that to a child. Like, Oh, you know, this is, you know, and especially something as deep as adoption because that's, it's just so profound that um, transfer, you know, mm. of the child. It's just so profound, and um, and it's one of the reasons we really committed to open adoption. So we were just really um, surrendered around that. We had to go through a lot of grief and a lot of surrender, make sure we were coming from the right place. That really, what it was about was like, oh, there's somebody or buddies who need a home. And we can provide that and we can provide that with a commitment to stay connected to the, to the biological family, to the birth family. And, um, and so that's what we did. And so, yeah, so it's like, it was a surrender from even like a pre parenting moment for us. I've always been curious about like, did you get to know the the boys before you made the choice or did you, did you leap in making the choice and then this is the match and this is where you're going. And like, how does that, how does it even happen? Cause I have a, a lot of friends who are in that place, you know, or um, having child yeah. is possible, not possible. Yeah. Right. Well, um, we actually um, ended up meeting the birth mom because her sister had been in a training with Holly and, um, and neither of us, neither us nor her, were really enjoying our adoption agencies <laughs> at the time. Um, and we had already turned down two matches, potential matches from that agency mm-hmm. um, and uh, on our side. And so, um, which, which, you know, that was really hard to do, but we needed to stay in guidance. And so, you know, when we prayed in our hearts and really opened our hearts, we could feel the love filling our house. And we're just like, Oh, this is the direction we're supposed to go. And so we <sighs> let go of our adoption agency and, and anyway, and set up a private adoption. And so anyway, so that's, um, mm. yeah. So, um, and the, the, the birth mom had not given birth yet. And so, yeah, we met the birth mom and the birth dad and, you know, we, you know, we were in, and we were supposed to be at the birth, but it happened too quickly for us to get there. And so, mm. yeah, it was, um, you know, and then there was this miracle of terrible bureaucracy where we were stuck in a different state in a hotel for two months, which gave us the opportunity to get to know um, the birth families before leaving 
and uh, you know the different branches of the birth family. And so anyway, it just been really, it was kind of this miracle of connection that happened. So wow. And yeah. the kids were preemie because they were twins, and so they were in the NICU for weeks before mm. being discharged healthy, but just premature. And so we also got this crash course in how to take care of infants from the NICU nurses. So it was like a really gentle, you know, like a lot of the there was yeah. there was a lot of support in that process. Mm. I'm I'm really struck in in your story by you said we had guidance to surrendering to something deeper. Mm-hmm. showing you what to do because that must have been really harrowing to try to figure out do we stick with this adoption agency do we go out on our own um i imagine must have been confounding in some ways mentally intellectually know. no yeah it was painful but there wasn't there didn't seem to be any doubts mm. i mean there were i don't know i'm sure there were i'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure i'm misremembering well, the moment yeah so you know, it's, it's, you know, in, in hindsight, it seems all kind of obvious and I'm sure it was different. Yeah. Living it. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of birthing stories and they're, they're in hindsight, we feel very differently about it than we do at the time. Yeah. They've shown through a lot of different studies that, you know, memory is not to be trusted. You know, like we don't have mm-hmm. accurate memories of what happens, even for, and perhaps especially for really momentous occasions. Like they've done these studies where they interview someone at the time of a momentous event and then uh, several years later and people are absolutely certain of their memories and their memories are completely wrong. So <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I, so I don't, All right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't trust my memory of that. I mean, clearly we made the choice that was, you know, that our hearts were, were trusting in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to follow that thread and uh, you know, jumping to now, your boys mm-hmm. are, you said, close to 11. Mm-hmm. What, would, what would you say is your, your greatest gift to your, your boys and your, your partner as a, as a dad? What do you give them? You know, what's funny is that I'm always, like the boys, when especially, they, they've learned better by now, but for years they would ask, what's your favorite or what's your best or what's your this? And I'm like, mm. I don't do that. <laughs> like, cause it's never just one thing. Of course. You know? I yeah. did. There's never like, I never, I don't have a favorite food. It depends on yeah. what I'm wanting in the moment or I don't have it. And yeah. so um, one of the things that I've really tried to do, uh, one of the things that I feel like I've really tried to embrace is the ability to apologize when I make mistakes yeah. and to both, model that and give them that so that they, um, cause there's so many mistakes. There's times where I've yelled at them. I've lost my temper. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times where I've, uh, blamed them and they weren't, you know, one or the other. And it wasn't, you know, there's times where I've been, you know, I make a lot of mistakes along the way and I'm always trying to mm-hmm. both model and just give them the gift of like, you know, I screwed that up and I'm really sorry. And, you know, how can we repair that? And, yeah. um, you know, not to try to pretend at any level that I'm perfect. And yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I feel like one of the, one of the most important things that I feel like I've learned in life is the ability to really embrace mistakes and imperfection. Mm-hmm. I make mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes and I, at this point, have no issue with admitting when I'm wrong. And um, I like it when people point out mistakes I've made. And, wow. um, and it didn't used to be like that. <laughs> but I, wow. But I'm really like I'm really comfortable with that, and yeah. um, it served me in a lot of ways. And it's like that's where I do my my biggest learnings. I mean, that's where mm-hmm. you know things actually can change and get better. It's like oh my god, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like Holly and I have this funny thing that we, well, and that's the other thing we like to model for the boys is like healthy arguing. It's like when Holly and I, my wife and I have a disagreement or an upset, you know, that we. We we usually I mean we've been together for 25 years now. It's tend to process things really quickly, and so like you know when we make a mistake or when we get angry at each other, we're kind of over it really quickly and trying to model that also. But it's 
you know, that's another version of the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. Holly will go like, why are you snapping at me? And it's like, because <laughs> what you're doing makes me uncomfortable. And so I'm trying to control your behavior and then we can laugh at each other. And so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and so it's, uh, I think like living in mistakes, living in yeah. an acceptance that mistakes are absolutely normal and expected is, yeah. is kind of what I've been trying to. Wow. Um, that's really beautiful. I think that repairing is one of the five most important things that any relationship needs. But I, I take to heart as a, as a dad wanting to teach my daughter and all the kids that I train with, you know, is how can they become responsible in this world unless they know how to own mistakes and how to repair them? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big stressor for a lot of families who are you know, my son doesn't take responsibility. He never owns up to things. I said, well, do we, do we model that? Do we teach that? I love that you're, um, you really have been working that muscle for a while. And, and this, I, you know, I think in a larger context of what you're saying is, I don't know about your parents, Mark, but in my parents and all the uncles and aunties, they never made mistakes. <laughs> you know, they were always right. <laughs> and there was a sort of generation of we're always right, kid wrong. And, right. Uh, and I think there's a backlash where, you know, we went through, and I know parents who still do this, where we try to overcorrect that, where we overshare mm. and put too much on our kids. But what you're mm-hmm. talking about is actually taking responsibility for ourselves. God yeah. willing, you know, in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just so, Hmm. it's so important. And it's easy to talk about it in a way that makes me look really good in this conversation. I mean, there's a lot of... I have more questions for you. Okay. (laughs) Good. Good. But it's just like, I just, I just want to, you know, I just want to highlight that, that I'm, you know, we're talking about this in a calm moment where, you know, the boys are not like all talking at the same time and screaming and I'm losing it and there anyway. So yeah, yeah. there's lots of times it doesn't get lived up to, but that's the, appreciate that to return to. Yeah. 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 It's really humbling being a parent, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Life. (sighs) Life is humbling. So, um, more questions. You know, I, I I think the big one in the background is is how you bring spirituality because I know you to be very much connected to your to your faith and your practice and how you bring that into everyday moments. And I've already got an inkling here of the sense of the humility that you have. And but how does it how does it come in? <laughs> the joke is I'm the most humble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm more humble than you are. You know, we do it badly and inconsistently is how we do it yeah. in the family. I mean, when I mean, we have a habit of, you know, making a blessing before meals and we've tried to model, you know, doing remembrance, which is a Sufi practice of connecting with the heart and making blessings. And we talk about God and talk about the divine and love. But that's been uh, a thing that actually feels like it continues to be a hole in our lives because, um, you know, I was raised Jewish. We were just talking about this recently. It's like I was raised Jewish and I'm not a part, we're not part of a Jewish community currently. And I don't have a method of like handing over the, the, the Jewish traditions to the boys uh, you know, we're not on a trajectory for them getting bar mitzvah, which is really hard for me, family-wise. And we're also, in our tradition of Sufism, like we don't have, you know, Holly and I are not completely 100% the same in our structure. I tend to be more leaning into traditional Islam, and she doesn't at all. And um, although we both practice, you know, as students of our sheikh and our, you know, in the Sufi Tariqa that we're in, but it's, you know, we don't, you know, it's like we try to bring an awareness of love and a connection to the heart and they see us take moments and they see us pray and they see us connect, but we don't have, I, yeah, I feel like that's something that's really lacking, Mm. like a more formal structure for accessing that Mm -hmm. and, um, and community support. Mm-hmm. for accessing that and a model for how other kids might do that. Like, like, like for me, spirituality is not really possible outside of community. 
you know, like we can't do it on our own because not in a complete sense, because unity is everything, right? It's a tie. It's like, don't, you know, there's a warning in Sufism about like, don't be, I'm not going to have the exact quote in my mind at the moment, but it's like, you know, don't be fooled by this metaphorical unity that everything is the same. It's like the divine, like the unity is a diversity. It's a, it's a tapestry. It's like the unity in the diversity and the diversity in the unity. Multiplicity is the word that's often used in the end. And so we don't know what the unity is if we don't have all of us present. So if we don't have a community to rub up against and problems to run into and things like that. And so Mm. this sense of, so we do have a sense of ritual. We do celebrate some of the, you know, Jewish holidays. We also, you know, they get to see me fast for Ramadan, you know, like there's things that are definitely part of their awareness. Yeah. But it's not, um, I don't feel very content Mm. with how we do spirituality in a family sense. Okay. So maybe there's something to grow there and discover there, it sounds like, eh? Yeah. I, I know that for myself and my family. That's something that I'm reaching for. Um, and I don't want to impose. Like, you know, I don't want to impose a structure. We go to church and uh, like it was imposed on me growing up and it's something that I, then I rejected because it was imposed. And Right. Um, well, it's so interesting because I think that the, I mean, we, we always impose something, right? I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah. including, including imposing not going, right? I mean, like there's always a, you know, like there's an authority or an imposition or a sovereignty that the parents place on the family, on the kids. I mean, a part of the discernment is how to withdraw that imposition mm. over time as they develop their own sovereignty, but to not impose it at earlier ages, you know, is also a dereliction in, in presence, I think. Mm. I mean, part of what we've done is we've home, we, there's been a variety of schooling that they've been through. So for instance, they were in a, in a cooperative preschool, and then they were in a Waldorf kindergarten that we weren't entirely, they, they, they weren't entirely happy. And, um, and we weren't a hundred percent onto either. And then we homeschooled and, you know, in the tradition of unschooling self-directed education. And then we moved to Harrisburg so that they could attend a free democratic school, which is self-directed education. And so there's a definitely like a growing sense of their own sovereignty and them directing their lives, which I think is, is really, really important you know, I have this conversation with them. They're saying, you can't do that. I'm like, actually, I'm the parent. I can do that. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, you're not staying up till midnight. It's like, you're, we're, we, you know, we're, and we're not, I'm not doing it because I said so. I'm doing it yeah. because we're a family. And for you to stay up, you don't have the ability at the age that you're at, at the level mm-hmm. of development you're at to regulate yourself. You need me. And so mm-hmm. to do, to still do things. And if you stay up really late and then you don't get up, you know, to go to school or to do, then I can't do what I need to do. And so we still need to function as a unit, you know, Oh, we want to go out to dinner and it's like, or we want to go do this. And it's like, we have to go as a family because you're not young enough to leave home alone. Mm -hmm. So there is an imposition that happens. Yeah. And there's ways that I wish that I had had the oomph to impose certain things spiritually earlier, Mm. but I think that there's also the overwhelm of parenting and the overwhelm of many other things. And it just did not reach the top priority list as we were kind of treading water in early years of parenting. And, Mm. and that also speaks to the lack of community because when we, we didn't have a community that was holding us, that was child friendly. And so we couldn't lean into that support because parents of young kids or even slightly older kids don't have, we don't have the oomph to create it all ourselves. No, right? and, and we can't really, right? Like I, I'm, I'm constantly aware with families, even ones where they have a lot of structures and community, there's always a, a longing for more. There's always an imperfection mm-hmm. in that, even in that community that's really rich, there's always like, oh, we need, we also need this and that energy too. And we don't have that. And I think as parents, we take it to heart that we need to provide it all. And then it, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking to know, well, I can't, I can't give everything to my child. 
I need uncles and aunties and communities and groups of people. And Mm -hmm. those people have different gifts and it's very, um, yeah. Sometimes I feel heartbroken by that in our society. And, and sometimes, sometimes it's just maybe the way we are built as human beings. And I think that our culture is so dysfunctional on so many levels and the dependence on the nuclear family, I think is one of them, you know, it's really a function of capitalism. You know, it's like, it's, the way that it's imposed, you know, any culture that is primarily defined by economics is going to be dysfunctional, whether you call it capitalism yeah. or socialism or whatever. It's like a culture needs to be primarily defined by how the community is organized, how mm-hmm. parts are organized, how people are connected to each other. And if it's defined primarily by economics, then economics is going to hold sway. And in this capitalist society, it's really, really white supremacist society it's patriarchal sexist society it's really hard to be functional you know it's like Mm -hmm. when people are moved by the need to like earn a living or to find aspects of culture that they resonate with that aren't killing themselves you know that aren't you know it's like whether it's because you're queer or whether it's because you're you know what have you and you need to move from where you are because where you are you're not fully seen or accepted or celebrated and then you end up distanced from structures that both aren't healthy but also aren't contained it's just it's also yeah it's just a mess it's a mess it's a mess and anyone who has um a measure of happiness and connection and love in this dysfunctional culture is winning, you know, is, you know, has a, is, is succeeding in the, in spite of what we're all facing. Mm. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I normally would be depressed by that, but I, I feel more heartened by it. Like it's crack, <laughs> it cracks me open to hear that and agree with you because it, it, compels me to continue to grow community and invest in people and spend time reaching out to friends who are isolated and so many parent friends. Oh, it's just so sad that when they're at their worst moments, they will, they, they will close up and not answer phone calls and not reach out. And uh, until, because they can't. Yeah. Yeah. Physically possible. It's not physically possible. And there's all that cultural conditioning. You should just figure this out on your own. You should do it all. And if anything, you go to some expert, pay them lots of money to fix your kid or, or you know, like there's this kind of commodification of everything. Yes. And they don't trust that they can call another parent or another friend and just be heard and received. Right. And I would say that there's, yeah, I agree with that. And I would also add to that just that the structures aren't there like the effort of reaching out the effort of reaching out whereas so we moved i mean we've recently moved to harrisburg but pa and and but before that we had moved to an eco village in outside ithaca new york white Mm -hmm. eco village amazing amazing place and we left there mainly um because we couldn't find schooling options that really matched our values. Uh, the homeschooling community in Ithaca is small and it has a tendency to have to that kids choose to go to public school because there's not enough older kids and it's kind of a self-reinforcing pattern that we didn't know. But we chose yeah. to move to an eco-village because you know, like the way that we design our living environment has a lot to do with it. Like our kids you could you wouldn't have to ask for support the support was just there the kids are in and out of each other's homes mm. you know it's like if you need support you don't have to call somebody up and then arrange <laughs> a time and then drive across town the kids just run out into the center circle and it's like oh my god i got to take a nap my kids over at your house i'm going to be napping and they're like yeah. okay cool you know like there's just no it's like the infrastructure the way that it's structured is supportive it's not mm-hmm. like having to you know, create a support in every moment, you know, mm-hmm. the, the effort of that. Yeah. And, um, and that was, it was a huge loss for us moving away from that. And we're hoping to recreate it some, because we moved into a, you know, we moved into an inner city kind of environment. I mean, Harrisburg is a very tiny city, but so it's not, you know, as um, it's, uh, you know, sometimes that brings up 
that image inner city brings up very, um, you know, certain images in certain in people's minds. But for us, it's been a rich tapestry of community because people can see one another. You walk out the door and there's people there. And yeah. that, and as you build relationships, as we build relationships, the people around us, including kids that are right across the street, like there's natural communities of support that can arise. It was the closest thing to an eco-village was living in a row house in <laughs> midtown Harrisburg, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just... Um, I'm just, you know, that the suburban structure. Anyway, I could go. Yeah, uh, I could. Yeah, I, anyway. I hear you. Okay, um, I'm wondering if we, if I can kind of take you through a journey of looking at the parenting compass. It's a tool to just discern. Okay. And if you you could kind of walk me through how you see yourself as a parent in different ways. Okay. Uh, one of the one of the sort of spectrums that I see in parenting is spectrum of power, and we talked. Mm-hmm. You talked about sovereignty, and uh, and you know, on one end of the extreme is you're like a rhino. You're always pushing your kids. You think you know best. And the opposite extreme is the the jellyfish. <laughs> you're just like okay, whatever. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the middle is something uh, which is true, more like true sovereignty and responsibility and care and thoughtfulness and discerning about when and how to guide and lead and when to empower and when to collaborate. And I think we, we all enter into the, the power realm having come from one extreme. You know, for me, it's the softer end and I've had to work really hard. And then I've learned to go to both extremes <laughs> <laughs> have a range but uh but my default would be to just let let things be and not not step in and then maybe step in too hard too firm and then find my my place in the center or play in that zone uh what's what's your experience well i mean i think it depends on the moment right so mm-hmm. when i'm exhausted I need, I'm, I have a, <laughs> I try to control my environment so that I can, you know, rest, then I tend to be more of the rhino, like, you know, get ready, flush your teeth, brush your teeth, get bed. I got to go to bed because you got to go to bed. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and we have a joke in the family about like, oh, you know, after 8 p.m., dad gets grumpy. And there's so yeah. many times where Holly would kind of wander in when, especially when the kids were younger and they were like, dad, asleep. <laughs> you know, I'm, cause I'm an early, early morning person. Me and too. So, yeah. so, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, ideally I like to think of myself as having that discernment and I tend to, because my personality likes structure, I tend to impose more structure and Holly tends to like less structure. And so she imposes less structure. And yeah. so hopefully uh, the partnership, you know, like all of us, you know, and one of our kids really likes structure and one of our kids doesn't like structure. Right. And so, you know, and so hopefully we're kind of like, playing you know a really good game of you know soccer or whatever Mm -hmm. you know it's like passing the ball off in different directions but Mm -hmm. um you know we've had a real commitment to self-directed education to really like the the, early on holly helped me see something that she had read in a book that that really resonated with us and i can't remember the source of it like only say no when there's really a good reason for it like a lot Mm -hmm. of people say no reflexively no and um (laughs) because i'm overwhelmed and i can't take anything else and Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we've tried to be a lot more thoughtful than that you know about Mm -hmm. not saying no unless there's a really good reason Mm -hmm. for it you know you spoke to this the structure piece which i think of as like the basis of creativity is there's either too much chaos or too much OCD structure, right? And and that, that that realm where we can all learn and grow is where you have just enough structure, but for each person it's unique, right? I am also a kind of person who I, I like starting with structure and then loosening up, but my daughter and my wife are quite different. <laughs> Sometimes we clash about the, the the amount of order and disorder in our lives, especially, you know, living together in a small home. There's another realm that I think is really important, which is about love. And I tend to see that it either ends up being like, as parents, we either focus 
too much on our kids and on our family, like obsessing about how is everyone, how's everyone, and kind of giving over our attention and focus to the other. Or we tend to, and this is my tendency, I tend to be more self-focused, which, you know, is good in some ways, but it's selfish in other ways. <laughs> so I tend to think about what do I need? What do I want? And then I assume that my daughter and my wife probably need the same thing or, you know, if they're tired or this or that, they probably have a similar way of mm-hmm. needing it met. And then mm-hmm. I don't attune to them as well. Like my wife is more other directed and I'm more self-directed. So we clash against that. Mm-hmm. But when we're in that zone in the center of the compass, it's like, you know, we can be fully true to ourselves and care for ourselves and be loving and caring to each other. And that, mm-hmm. that's a par- I think there's a beautiful paradox there. Mm-hmm. of being able to fill our own cup and also to give and be generous to our family. I wonder if you have any thoughts about, you know, that the sense of how love flows in your in yourself and in your family. In that in the flow between self-direction and other direction, you know, I've tried we try to be really aware of that because it's so um you know what you described with your your wife and yourself are the same for me and Holly. And it's so clear that a lot of it is gender conditioning, you know, right. Yeah. You know, as a firstborn, you know, male child, you know, like I wasn't really trained to pay attention to other people um, in the same kind of way. And Holly is like, can be hyper aware of other people's needs uh, to the point of like, you know, losing the sense of her own needs. And so we try to be really, we try to be really aware of that because there's also, you know, some of that, you know, that there's an aspect of it that that's healthy and there's a lot of it that's not healthy. And so, um, so I think that that's kind of just an ongoing journey of trying to deprogram that kind of gender conditioning in ourselves and becoming mm. aware of what's, of what's really needed. And um, mm. yeah. And it's not always easy. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, in psychology, and I, I, I ascribe to this for decades of self-regulation, you know, teaching people to um, attend to their selves and especially with kids, right? It's a big topic, self-regulation. But over the years, I've come to understand the, the gender flaw in that and, and the, the blind spot of that. And, and there's some more science that's catching up and saying, you know, actually, Meditating is hard for a reason. We're really bad at noticing ourselves. We're much better at noticing each other. Our mirror neurons and our empathic instincts for thousands of years were in community. So we were attuned to notice the vibration of other people and try to respond. And so I've been really excited about this concept of co-regulation, that when I'm responding to you, I'm responding to myself. When I'm really in tune with myself, I'm also attuned to you. And right. how it's, that's, that's the, the whole par- point of community, right? Yeah. Like spirituality needs to happen in community. Connection is community. Right. Families need to exist within communities. Yeah. You know, because we need those. We need a lot of different mirrors to see different aspects of ourselves. Yeah. And I've, I've been kind of annoyed with the whole self-love, self-care paradigm because I've seen a lot of environments where caring people are abused and told to then they should go to self-care. <laughs> <laughs> right. They're, you know, they're right. burnt out right. and then they well the solution is go take care of yourself over there alone in the corner. <laughs> right, that's capitalism in action. Yeah. It's just crap. Yeah. yeah. It's just crap. Uh, yeah, so I, I uh yeah, I, I want to ask you about one other dimension that I see that's really key. And I, I think of it as wisdom, but you might you might label it differently. Is mm-hmm. the dimension of like very, you know, much removed and observant and intellectual, perhaps, and reasonable, and then being really emotional and deeply uh, feeling. Mm-hmm. And those two extremes, you know, can go even further. But when we get to that paradox where both are held, I think that's where real wisdom starts to come. So I can, f- I can have full experience of my senses and emotions, but I can also be aware of the larger context. And uh, the patterns that are really mm-hmm. present, and mm-hmm. and I'm, I think what I, th- yeah. I think part of the place where we where I use different 
labels in you is just from a Sufi point of view, things like love and wisdom are seen as divine qualities. Right. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, so like the divine is the wise, like wisdom is something we can receive and express, but we can't create or produce, Mm, mm. you know, love is something that we can receive and express, but we can't create or produce it inside ourselves. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a divine essence. So what you're talking about is in in my terms, the word, the ways that I understand it has to do with how much we're um, in uh, you know, like observing and participating with our ego or how much we're run by our ego, you know? And yeah. I think that if we're at effect of our ego, then we're not going to be able to really, one, enjoy life very much. And we're not going to be really very present or surrendered, you know? It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like the you know, it's going to be harder to be aware of the larger reality that's present and acts be more resourced and access more of what's within ourselves or within mm. the divine, within the heart that can be found, you know, when um, our reactivity become, you know, like takes over and our reactivity is, can be emotional reactivity. And it can also be the numbing out of, uh, the dispossessed, disconnected intellectual reactivity. Like that's right. a reactivity also of just yeah. saying, oh, I'm not part of this. I'm just going to look at the data. You know, that's reactive, ego reactive also. Yeah. So uh, being able to participate and engage is, is mm-hmm. um, you know, per, to, to be a witness, an engaged witness, I think is, you know, it's like really what we're trying, what in my estimation, what I've been taught is what we're really trying to do as human beings is remember the presence of the divine as we engage with life. Yeah. Well, thank you for that reminder. I mean, I uh, <laughs> feel like I've been coming out of the closet to some of my friends recently of like, in my most stressful time in the last few years, I had cancer last year and, you know, I went mm-hmm. through a job loss and all this sorts of stuff. And I reached to a higher power and I felt the response. And it was greater than anything I've ever experienced, even in community, even in, in moments of high, you know, peak states. It was just this incredible sense of presence. And um, that knew me better than I know myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've been trying to bring that into my parenting, you know, like not talk about it so much. Uh, I mean, we talk about death and life and all kinds of stuff, but I've been just trying to practice connecting to that. And and that what you just said speaks to that sense of like those qualities. If I have any wisdom, if I have any love, it it comes uh, through me from a greater place. I want to find ways to share that more, uh, not by preaching or teaching, but just... Uh, you know, I talk to a lot more parents and they're, they're always, it's always on the table, no matter how uh, happy the parent seems and how much, how well they're doing. When we really sit down and talk, there's a sense of loneliness. There's a sense of I'm doing it all alone. Even if they have nannies and supports, it's just this sense of burden. And, and I can't, that feeling of I can't do it alone. And then we start talking about something greater and we all feel this hunger to feel connected to that, especially in the moments of loneliness. And Mm. I really appreciate you bring that up. And Mm. I'm starting to see the beauty in that, not just in all this. It's, it's not like it's tragic. It's just the human condition perhaps. Um, And that when I, when I feel that vulnerability and that, that ache that I, that I need more, it's actually a call for me to open my heart and expand and take mm-hmm. in more. Um, one of the questions I love asking is just, what is an area that you would like to grow as a parent that you can share with us, you feel comfortable to share with us, that we can kind of follow and see how that goes? You know, the boys are at this cusp, you know, like they've become tweens. And, you know, they're going to be 11 and they're going to be 12. I mean, adolescence is basically, I mean, you know, they're, 
<laughs> they're going to be teenagers, you know, um, they're going to be getting cell phones imminently. So it's like, like in a week. So it's, it's, um, I just need to under, I want to understand more about that time of life. That was like such a time of wounding for me, mm. you know, 12, 13, I mean, so much body shame came in so much kind of like uncertainty in myself. Like, I just don't want to be re-triggered into that. I feel like I've done a really good job of like engaging with a sense of play as they came into being eight, nine, and 10. And, you know, we've been having a great time. Like we've made this, I've noticed how much we've made the shift for me, like taking care of them to just enjoying each other and having fun together. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. get on our bikes and go bike and go, go play mini golf or do whatever. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. You know, we've been having a lot of fun together lately. And I just know that as they become even more capable i just want to i want to learn for myself in being kind to myself about mm. um that time in my life and to be able to be present for them what in what can be i'm sure an overwhelming confusing challenging time for them as they grow you know just to be aware of all of that let it be messy but you know, just kind of like learn more about it. I mean, one of the gifts of being adoptive parents is that we were forced to take these child development classes <laughs> to really learn about like child development yeah. and to learn more about child development about like, you know, not in any kind of like, this is strictly how it happens, but like ranges like, oh, you know, this tends to happen in this time. This tends to happen. In this tends to happen. And I just feel like there's a lot for me to learn about this next age. I don't think checking in in six months is necessarily going to be that useful. I'm probably going to be in the basically the same because I this is going to be a journey over the next couple of years. But I this is really like for me, what's going to be really important is to um is to really be open to that and be aware of what's going on inside me and knowing that, oh, this is going to be a place where I'm probably going to need to do some deep healing, you know, around like immature aspects of my sexuality and Im immature aspects of my relationship to that time of my life. So that I can avoid um, uh, <laughs> dumping it on them. Mm. Hopefully. Oh. <laughs> well, that, you know, everything you said is just so touching to me because you're so clear about what's coming and what you need to prepare yourself for. I feel 100% confident you're going to find your way through that because you already can see what it's going to demand. I imagine it'll be there'll be lots of surprises, and um, I wish you a sense of compassion for yourself too. You know, yeah. Thankfully, I've got yeah. I've got that pretty well in hand. I mean, like, <laughs> I'm just I, you know, it, I I I can say that with confidence because you know I'm freaking 51 years old, and I've been through <laughs> enough crap uh, with myself that at this point I don't really have a lot of places where I get triggered into judging myself very hard. I just, it comes in with that place piece I said earlier. I just, I am, I'm proud of what I've, the work I've done over the last two decades around healing some of those places where, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not that harsh on myself. Uh, I really am not like I'm with it while still challenging and learning. And I think the other place that I want to be with the kids is really like, as I continue to undo stuff around sexism and white supremacy mm. myself, is being, you know, it's like we, we now live in a city that's majority black and we've been doing our best to kind of bring our own awareness of that topic to them, you know, in ways that aren't very nuanced, I think mainly because of their age, you know, it's like, everything's like good and evil and black and white, you know, literally like, yeah. Oh, black people badly and that's like how do i bring in like a systemic analysis of like white supremacy and capitalism it's not, you know at age 10 you know? <laughs> but it's like so i'm just wanting to continue to um bring that awareness because they have privilege over some of the kids that we live near uh in various ways economically and racially and i just yeah. uh, just want them to be aware of that without it without sabotaging their sen their fragile sense of self-esteem that's been growing. So anyway. uh, I have a lot of friends who are on the, on that journey with their tweens with trying to figure out how do I educate about the way of the world, the realities of the world? 
without <laughs> crushing their whole sense of <laughs> future and everything. But right. how do I how, how do I be honest about those things? And how do I not paint it all black and white? My um, my daughter and I we read these books called Rebel Girls, and it has mm. all these stories of different women in history. You know, from pirates to queens and all that and there's a lot of stories where it's like oh this is nazi germany or oh this is a genocide in africa and my five six now seven-year-old daughter's going what what does that mean daddy and and to not um sugarcoat that and not try to hide that or gloss over it really quickly but to let let that just and yeah that stuff is still happening and it's happening in different places in different ways to different degrees. It's uh, there's a certain heartbreak in the world, and how do we bring that to our children, right? And help them understand it. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Absolutely. I wonder though, you know, if you'd be open to just like I, I just would love to know how that goes. I have so many questions myself, but. <laughs> yeah, I'm always happy to hear from you. I'm always happy to hear from you. Um, I would love to. Uh, I would love to ask you a few questions about like, have you had any conversations with your boys around racism and sexism and all oh, yeah. that stuff yet? And how has that gone? What's it, what's it been like for you? You know, it's been very black and white. I mean, like the thing, you know, it's been very polarized and like good and evil. It's like, it, they haven't really taken in the understanding other than, you know, oh, wow, you know, because we, I mean, we have friends, you know, <laughs> some of my best friends are black. Oh, you could both, I can't. But I mean, we have, you know, we have people of color in our lives and they've had, they have friends who aren't white and, you know, and it's like, you know, or are gay, you know, or, or both, <laughs> you know, and it's like their understanding, how they express is like, oh, that's really bad that they treat people like that. Like they, like it's so stupid. Like I can't, like I'm angry that they would treat my friend that way or that, that, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, it's still in that understanding of like personal choice and feeling, which is kind of like the, you know, the very, um, uh, kind of naive reductionist uh, immature understanding in our culture (laughs) by most white people right it's like oh you know people shouldn't treat other people badly instead of having a systemic analysis of why these things are in place and how they work institutionally but the boys are just I just don't think they have development I mean I could be wrong and I could probably push on it but I just don't think developmentally they've had that I mean I've I try to really pointed out and usually through just externalizing my own personal reactions like you know we'll be looking at you know watching you know like they're way into superheroes and always have been and I'm like god that's really weird that all those are white characters like where why are none of them black or Asian or you know I just I just you know or South American and they're like oh that is weird and I'm like or why there's so few girl superheroes, you know? And I'm like, well, let's watch Captain Marvel and let's watch Wonder Woman. You know, it's like, you know, and still, why are they all white? And so I just, they have started to take on some of my own, you know, reactions to that. Like, mm-hmm. God, that's kind of weird. That's not the world as I know it. Like way more people are black than I see in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they're, I think they're, I'm just kind of externalizing my noticing of that. And I think that that helps them realize, Oh, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of weird or that's, you know, or, Oh, wow. It shouldn't be that way. Or, um, so that's mostly how those conversations have gone, but they're certainly not in an age where we have in depth extended intellectual conversations about these things. It's, it's more just kind of noticing the, the injustice. They had a conversation. We had a, you know, like they started playing with these boys across the street and the, you know, like we, we've given them an, an allowance for some time, you know, that, you know, and they're supposed to a certain part, they're supposed to give away and a certain part they're supposed to, uh, you know, hold on for long-term savings and a certain amount that are allowed to just spend however they want to, you know, and they just kind of mentioned, Oh yeah, my allowance. And one of the kids mentioned to them, Oh yeah, my allowance is that my parents pay the electricity bill. And, um, <laughs> You know, make sure the electricity gets paid. And I just think that that they brought that up in conversation when I tried to bring that up and kind of like the awareness, like their initial reaction was one of shame and like, oh, my God, I did something wrong or I didn't do anything wrong. Or it's like, 
oh no, it's not about you didn't do anything wrong, but they have yeah. that initial shame reaction. I'm like, where did that come from? Mm. Where did that shame reaction come from? Because I don't think we modeled it for them mm. unless we did internally. And so there's a place where they're, they go to this place of, oh, I did something wrong, self-protective thing that I'm like, mm. oh my God, how do we root that out? And I'm not entirely sure how to do it other than to keep noticing it and yeah to it so my yeah it's curious to me i i spent a lot of time trying to work with parents and kids around shame and what i've come to understand about shame and guilt because they're very similar and developmentally we all start by taking things very very personally Mm -hmm. and as children it can be something completely outside of ourselves but if it's in our sphere and it affects us emotionally we have either two choices. We can either swallow it and then go, oh, shit, that bad feeling that dad is carrying around that I can't name, mm-hmm. it must be about me. That I have that bad feeling too, and it must be about me. And it gives them a sense of meaning and control. Mm-hmm. Or they reject it and say, well, dad's, blah, I don't want any of that. Mm-hmm. But, then, um, but then I feel really disconnected from dad. And I don't understand him and I don't feel close to him. So in a sort of very, very primal way, developmentally, we either swallow or spit out the experiences of the world and people closest to us, but also the society, not just, you know, what they get at daycares and schools. And um, it takes more growth and development to develop that, those boundaries and the discernment to say, oh, I can take in some of your yucky stuff and it's not about me. And I can just kind of understand you feel bad. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, or um, I can push what back. What age does that tend to come in development? I think it happens gradually. But I think what I see with kids of all ages and adults too, is that we have to be taught that mostly. Because right. we're given the raw empathic instincts. And if we don't develop them, we stay in a very much, like you, you see adults who take everything personally, right? Right, or reject right. everything, or go back and forth between these extremes. And I think what you said earlier about repairing and owning and helping them to discern the differences between themselves and others, I think there's more coaching that we need to do with our kids to be able to say to them, oh, you feel really bad. Let's, let's like unravel that. What's that mm-hmm. bad feeling? Is it guilt or is it shame? And where does that come from? Is that you feel bad because you're you're told you're, you should be ashamed because you're a boy? Or is that because you actually feel like you did something wrong and you're embarrassed and ashamed about your behavior and who you are? You know, there's so much that doesn't get um, teased out and digested because we just go, oh, you feel bad? And the, the number one parenting response is, I want to make you feel better. <laughs> I want to make you feel better. Don't feel bad. Yeah, right? I'm not. Con- yeah, I'm not concerned about that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm fine. You know, like yeah, you know. Yeah, that's one of I, the big, big things. And so, it's just interesting because hmm. one of our kids, like, whenever something strong emotional comes up, they don't. He just doesn't want to talk about it. Like he just yeah. won't. Like he won't. Like I try to help guess at emotions for him, and he's. Yeah. He just. That's that's definitely like a piece that I'm wanting to mm. kind of walk with them over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think it's beautiful, and it sounds like you're on your way, and you're in the you're in the wilderness with them around that, trying to navigate that, trying to figure that out, right? And every kid, like your two sons, are so different. There's always so much to learn. I wonder if I can ask you one more quick question, sort of sure. popcorn. Um, do you have anything to say to parents who are also entrepreneurs and self-employed, you know, with all of your experience supporting entrepreneurs and being a parent Mm -hmm. (laughs) that might bring compassion and wisdom or something? It's to just know, I mean, I mean, it's kind of obvious because we're all in it, you know, those of us that are in it are in it, but it's like the, um, Parenting takes up a lot of bandwidth. It takes up a lot of creativity. It takes up a lot, you know, like it interrupts our ability to sleep. It interrupts our ability to, you know, it's like we're often in a very different mode and you just can't be as productive. You know, there are, I watched 
you know, peers of mine who, you know, had made the choice not to have kids or their kids were older already or, you know, what have you, um, you know, weren't involved in parenting and their businesses grew very much more quickly than ours did, uh, you know, from a certain point. It's like, you know, between 2008 and, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, Heart of Business continued to develop and everything, but I was not able to move it in certain ways as quickly as I would have liked or respond as, you know, it was just, it was just, there's just limits. And mm-hmm. I just to have um, compassion for yourself around what is actually possible. It's like one of the things I'm constantly talking about is capacity. Like we don't have, we tend to have a very unrealistic sense of what our capacity is and our capacity is often like less than half of what we think it is. <laughs> and what this means is, is that we have to choose, you know, people talk about prioritizing, people talk about it, you know, but it's like, we need to, like, you have, you're, you have to choose what's most important um, or that choice will get made for you because mm. you will drop things and making it consciously is so much better. And so choosing, you know, I, I'm, I'm, um, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, and there's a lot that goes into it that would slide into like business coaching and training, but it's like, I just, I just, I just think it's like being really Mm -hmm. ultra clear, as clear as you can about, you know, what's going to be most important for your business and, um, and letting go of everything else. I mean, we let go of a lot of perfectionism when parenting and it's the same thing with business and it needs to develop. So. Mm, thank you. I needed to hear that. <laughs> yes, it's so true. It's like our garden. We have a massive garden and we're constantly uh, delighted by some parts of it and grieving other parts of it that we couldn't, we just didn't have the space and time to give to uh, and letting certain things die so that we can grow something intentionally. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I just want to close off by uh, just sharing with you the impact you have on me, you know, in this call, mm-hmm. just, I, it didn't go anywhere where I expected it to. <laughs> uh, and I just sort of had my jaw open, kind of following you going, wow. Yeah. All of these things, there's so many, there's, I had this sense of m- multiplicity listening to you of like, um, my daughter has this crystal ball with many facets, got like hundred sides and it's in her windowsill. And it, when the sun shines through it, you see the spectrum of light dancing on her wall and listening to you speak about any topic. It just made me go, Oh shit. Yeah. There's so much more to this. <laughs> <laughs> so much more. It's not just, yeah. What do you think about that? Oh, I think this, cause that's just never the case. <laughs> when we when we really spend time looking at some i appreciated it's your so your There's so your, much richness yeah i appreciate your your deep honesty about parenting and the journey of it uh, it was very arresting to hear you know how it started and where it is now and yeah i i kind of want i want to i know we live far away but i want to extend a hand of like I want to feel like I, I want you to feel like you're less alone out there mm. as a parent and to offer you my friendship in that sense, you know, that we're part of community together. And yeah, I felt really heartened by that. that mm. Mashallah. Yeah. Send love to your family. and Thank you. And to yours as well. Thank to you. yours as well. You're walking through really, I mean, every time is rich, but it's like, Yeah. I wouldn't want to repeat any of it because it was what it was, <laughs> but it's like, a, you know, like the age that your daughter's at, what, five, you said? She's seven now. Oh, she's seven. And yeah. yeah. Oh my God. That, and it'll be very different for you than it was for us because it always is different. And I just, yeah. like the next few years, those past few, the past three years have been so precious with the kind of like the intellectual and sophistication development yeah. It's been like awe-inspiring to see. Yeah. No. Yeah. She's very she's gifted in terms of all of that. And she's shy and sensitive. So I feel for her socially 
you know, weaving into the world. And I think girls are way ahead of boys sometimes of like the, the pain of social stuff. They, they get it a few years earlier. So I am, I'm, I'm also like you, you know, kind of revisiting times in my life uh, of feeling rejected and uh, finding my way in groups and um, watching her go through it. So Ah, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me in. This has been a beautiful conversation. I've done so many conversations about business. It's really refreshing (laughs) to talk about something else, you know, like talk (laughs) about parenting and family life, which is such a, you know, important piece for all Mm -hmm. of us. So, you know, whatever the family looks like, not just parenting, but yeah, you know, we all are so dependent on family you know, mm. community. Maybe, okay, one more really quick. You know, before we I hit record, you did an invocation. I wonder if you could lead us through something as a way to close. Do you have any prayer or something to kind of wish to our listener, to ourselves mm. as a way to close? Well, I can do a, a, a version of that invocation which i use quite a lot we do it before team meetings i do it before meeting you know when at the beginning of meetings with clients and um just a prayer in general and it's uh mm-hmm. in the name of the one most compassionate most merciful most kind I ask in the name of the one to help us to know that our hearts are always guided, that we are always carried, that we are never alone. Help to open the way and to reveal the path and to make the signs unmistakable. Help to bring nourishment and care and support and abundance. And help all of those who need the gifts that we've been given find their way to us without blocks or veils or hesitations. Help to weave us together in a community of light and heart and beauty in the tapestry of including everything and everyone, for there is nothing that is outside the oneness. Amen. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mashallah. Mashallah. Thank you for inviting me to. Hmm. This episode was so rich. I've listened to it three or four times now, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have listening to Mark. You can find out more about his beautiful work called The Heart of Business in the show notes. And just to let you know, next episode, we have another incredible parent. This time it's Mars Lord from London, England, a beautiful, wise powerful and loving mama, doula, teacher, and soon-to-be grandma, Nona, who is shares so much that I just melted into my chair, listening and drinking in her wisdom. And if you've enjoyed this podcast at all, please leave a comment, a rating, and consider subscribing to get more episodes. Till next time. May we all bring more truth and compassion to our own parenting.